Okay. Um, I've been sort of drinking information from a fire hose this past week with Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. And one of the main things that's occupied my time is this new Vision Pro product uh, that they just announced. And in typical Apple fashion, uh, Tim Cook said after an hour of the Apple keynote for the Worldwide Developers Conference, one more thing. And uh, then he described this Vision Pro headset for virtual and augmented reality. And when I looked at it, when I saw the video, I thought, boy, I can do incredible things with this. And um, so I'm very excited about it. And I wanted to talk about it from an engineering perspective. I think a lot of people will talk about the price. They'll talk about how beautiful it is when you put it on and so forth. But I think there's an additional story to be told about the engineering aspects of this device and what it means from an engineering standpoint. It's sort of a breakthrough product. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so just to let you know where I'm coming from. I'm an electrical and computer engineer uh, specializing in computer vision and digital image processing. I have several commercially successful patents in those areas, and I've studied the human brain and the human visual system. That is the best visual system that we have access to, so that's what a lot of computer vision researchers study. Uh, plus, I'm a 3D photographer and have taken many thousands of 3D photos. And all of those fields come together in this headset. Um, I wanted, as I said, I wanna talk about how the Vision Pro is remarkable from an engineering standpoint. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask everybody to turn off their video right now. And cause I'm gonna show some moving images. Let's see. Turn this off. Okay. So, the essence of engineering is to envision the ideal solution to a problem and then build a practical solution that's economically feasible, that's feasible from a production standpoint, from a design standpoint. And typically what happens when you're an engineer, when you're going through this process, is you come up with a practical design that is about 90% of the functionality of the ideal design. And sometimes what will happen in a market segment is you'll end up with a bunch of products that are only 60 or 70% of the ideal design uh, because people have cut corners, they've cut costs, uh, they're trying to maximize their profit. And so um, you end in some market segments, you end up with uh, only 60 to 70% of the ideal design. And so it's very refreshing when someone, when you have an array of products at different uh, quality levels within a product segment, so that you have a lot of choice as a consumer. And 
So I talked about how engineers aim often for this 90% of the ideal design. And this new Apple Vision Pro is not a 90% device. It's not a 60% device. It's not a 70% device. It's not a 90% device. It's a 98% device. And so that's why it has taken so long for this to come to market. That's why the price is relatively high right now, although I think there will be a family of products probably following this that will be lower priced. But you can see, one of the things you can see with this device is the imprint of some of the famous Apple design. And <laughs> I think one of the things you see is a famous industrial designer from Apple named John Johnny Ives, Johnny Ive. And uh, because of his influence, which, you know, made things more difficult during the production phase, but because of his influence, that's why this is a 98% design versus even a 90% design. And um, some of the, I'll talk about some of the elements of why that's the case, why it's a 98% design. So let me start with uh, the display of your eyes as they're shown in the front of the headset. At first I thought, well, this is sort of a super, superfluous feature. But then I began to realize as I looked more and more into it, Let's say you're a family and you bought one of these and you know mom or dad is sitting on the couch wearing it. Well, traditionally with a headset, um, it's blank on the front. And so that in that sense, that person is sort of disconnected from the rest of the environment around them. And people look at them as sort of being blank. But when your eyes show up, that invites people to interact with you. And so when someone actually approaches you and starts talking to you when you're wearing this, uh, it will shift into more of an augmented reality mode. And you'll see that person, you'll hear them, you'll hear their voice, you'll be able to talk to them, and they will see your eyes. So you're not as isolated from them as you would be otherwise. Um, also, this headset is bristling with cameras and um, it has a camera beneath each eye. And so that what that allows it to do is get a realistic scale scene, vision of the scene around, around you while you're wearing the headset. And so it allows you to press on the outer rim of the headset to take photos and to take videos in 3D. So that's sort of a breakthrough. And I know a lot of people have seen the headset and said, wow, you know, this is like something I've never seen. Well, part of the reason for that is that it's showing you things in 3D in stereoscopic 3D, meaning that you have a different image that's presented to the left eye and to the right eye, two different images. And that's how we perceive depth 
in the world around us. So we're so used to seeing images and videos in 2D that we sort of gotten used to that. But um, 3D is really striking, particularly when it's well displayed. Um, there's no glasses. You cannot wear glasses while you're wearing this headset. And it's an issue, but it's sort of an interesting trade-off that Apple has made. Um, the field of view of this display is about 120 degrees, which is very good for any of these headsets. And I think the way that they achieve that is by getting your eyes very close to the lenses that you look through to see the display. So what does that mean? You can't wear your glasses with the headset on. So Apple is providing the ability to um, have prescription lenses that are, that, that are based on a little magnet and you can just snap them into the headset, into where the lenses are, and uh, that will correct your vision for, for the headset. It also means uh, if you wanna show off your work and you've got a headset and you're a developer, let's say, and you take the headset off of you and you wanna hand it to someone else, well, you have to think about this now. Um, if your eyesight is perfect and their eyesight is perfect, then no problem, you can do that. But otherwise, if you've got your custom lenses in there, you'll have to take them out. And if the other person needs prescription glasses, then they may need, need a custom set of uh, lenses for themselves. So that's something to sort of think about with this headset. And one of the reasons why I say that this is a 98% design is because Apple made that trade-off. In order to get that very realistic and breathtaking 120 degree field of view, they had to presumably make your eyes close enough to the lenses so that you wouldn't, would not be able to wear glasses. So that's one of the trade-offs they made. And you know it doesn't make the headset any cheaper, but it provides that breathtaking experience uh, that you get in this 98% device. Um, one of the things I wanna talk about here is waves of technology. Not many people know it, but, whoops, sorry. In Victorian times, this was the television of their age, hundreds of years ago in Victorian times. And what is this? This is a 3D photo photograph. This is called a stereo viewer. You can see how it resembles in some ways these virtual headsets. This was the virtual reality headset of Victorian times. And um, this was the main form of entertainment back then. And instead of having a TV in their living room, most families had these viewers and they would buy these stereo cards. And so it provided us, there were lenses inside the viewer that focused on the card and provided a separate 
image to your left eye and to your right eye. And when your brain fused all that together, you would see everything in 3D. So 3D is nothing new. Um, you know, and, and I've never heard of anyone who said, well, I don't like 3D, so I wear an eye patch over one eye all day because I don't like seeing the world in 3D. Uh, so these technologies come in waves. And we've seen waves of 3D technologies come again and again. Um, one of them came uh, in the mid-2010s, and we had 3D TVs and so forth. Um, we see waves of VR come again and again. And, uh, you know, last year, for example, we saw a peak in VR. We've seen waves of artificial intelligence come again and again. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think last week, in the 1950s, uh, people said, wow, we've got artificial intelligence. Within a few years, we'll have you know, self-driving cars, we'll have robotic prison guards. Well, it didn't quite turn out that way because you never know what you don't know when it comes to developing new technologies. So things tend to take longer than you think. But all of these waves of these different technologies of the uh, virtual reality of artificial intelligence of 3d they're all coming to bear right now and they are converging in this apple headset so for me this is tremendously exciting because everything i've been working on in my career is sort of coming to a focus right now on this headset and this headset is now focusing on everything that's of interest to me so you can imagine that i'm very excited about this so here's a great article that sort of surveys a lot of videos that people have presented uh, about their experience on the headset I, I just have to say something when you look at this headset right here it reminds me of technology technology that was re des designed by reverse engineering alien technology. That's that's what the that's what the headset looks like to me. It's just so beautiful, even when it's not being used. And so here's a this is a very good article. Mac Rumors has had a great set of articles on the headset, and uh, they cover a bunch of videos that people have made. Uh, about the headset, and they're very good. Um, this is one that I like very much. This is one of their writers at Mac Rumors. I think this has been Photoshopped because I he he tried out the headset, but I don't think you were allowed to take any photos of yourself when you were wearing it. So I think they Photoshopped the headset on him with the eyes. And um, I thought he, provided a very perceptive review of the headset and its capabilities and his experiences with it. He was still sort of stunned by the headset as he uh, gave his video review of it. This is about uh, using the built-in cameras to take photos and videos of the headset. 
And one thing I'll mention about this picture that I'm going to talk about in just a second, you can barely see it, but if you look very closely at the image, see if I can zoom in. Vision Pro video recording. Uh, there is, in, in all the Apple videos, this did not show up. This was in this one particular video segment where this strap showed up over the top of this man's head. And um, I think what this does is it relieves some of the pressure. Uh, normally the strap, without this, this head strap up here, normally the strap will be, um, the, the force between the front of the strap and the back of the strap holds the headset on. But if you have this extra strap over the top of your head, it distributes the forces of the headset, the weight of the headset more evenly on your head. So you may find that if you're a developer or something, if you wear this strap, it may be that you'll find that you're able to wear the headset for longer periods of time uh, with less fatigue. So I just thought that was interesting. There's an article strictly about that that I'll touch on in just a minute. This is about the, um, I'm gonna mention a lot of articles like I often do. And then if you're interested in the detail, you can see the title of the article, you can see the, the URL of the article up in the address bar of the browser, and you can check that out if you want to. So I'm just gonna skim over these articles. And if it's an area that's of particular interest to you, then you can um, look at the article in more detail. So this talks about uh, the prescription um, lenses that you can get for it. This was one of those uh, videos by a person who had used the headset. Very, very good video. I, I highly recommend it. This is an article about the different user interface gestures that the headset uses. And so this is very interesting. Uh, in the video that Tim Cook uh, played, they show the headset also using a regular game controller. So this has been one of the focuses of the Worldwide Developer Conference, that Apple is providing more tools to bring existing games over to the Mac and over to uh, the ProVision environment. So that's become more of a focus for Apple. So if you're if you're a game developer, this is a very interesting development for you. Also, as I mentioned before, Unity can be used for development on this headset. That's a big plus. Apple has been specifically working with Unity. They had, um, I think, a senior vice president of Unity in, in their video describing the headset. So that's sort of a big deal. And I know in X-Reality, we've... Um, provided a lot of information about developing in general with Unity. And uh, the X-Reality Academy has a lot of classes about developing in Unity. So if you're if you want to develop for this headset, those classes will probably be very useful to you. Uh, this is about that head strap. And Apple hasn't really mentioned the head strap yet that, that goes over the top of the head. Uh, so it's an interesting thing to look for. Uh, third parties have already started uh, talking about their own head straps 
that they're going to come out with. This one is made out of leather. So the, the device itself, my understanding is the device itself is only coming in um, one color, uh, but you'll be able to personalize it with these different head straps. And this is about converting Windows games to the Mac. So this is very interesting. If you've been following our news uh, events, one of the things you'll see is that I talked about display response time. And this headset has two 4K OLED, micro OLED displays. So it's 4K, a 4K display for each one of your eyes. And I've done a lot of work in 3D. I worked with just about every type of 3D display that you can imagine. And this is killer. This headset is going to be killer for a 3D display because you're using OLEDs, OLED displays, which have a tremendous range of colors that they can reproduce. So you will see imagery on those OLED displays like nothing that you have ever seen before. And I've used uh, 3D OLED displays before, but it's they usually don't provide full 4K fidelity for each eye. So by getting 4K per eye, you're just getting a tremendous experience. And um, this is gonna be amazing. And the response time, because it's so fast, will allow you to play games and see motion video in 3D and 2D that is just extremely crisp and sharp. So uh, the uh, refresh rates for the headset are going to be 90 frames per second, which is what gamers like, and uh, 96 frames per second. It's a special mode for playing back uh, 24 frame per second movies, for example. So it's looks pretty good. And I just, Jim, I just want to add for people who are listening that that frames the the crazy high frame rate per second is going to reduce lag time to almost nothing is what the they are suggesting is that between all of the um uh between their processing chips and the their refresh rate that there should be almost no lag and so I'm hoping that you know that will be a big bridge into a lot of people who can't wear headsets now because they get so sick, even after 10 or 15 minutes, they can't use them. Yeah. In fact, that was one of the things that one of the uh, reviewers in their video review commented on that previously when they tried headset, they would, they would get uh, sick within 15 minutes or so with the typical headsets that are on the market right now. Uh, but with this one, they didn't, they didn't feel that at all. So um, I thought I thought that was very interesting. Um, here's another article about um, AI-generated academic science writing can be identified with over 99% accuracy. I thought that was very interesting. And if it works on academic writing, I wonder if it work, would work on, let's say you write a cover letter using ChatGPT you know, for your next job. Uh, for sending in your your application for a job, would this software be able to determine whether the cover letter was written by ChatGPT? I, oh, I think we've been there. I think that's what <laughs> yeah. schools use now. Everyone is just like, yes, 
we see that this looks so nice and we know that you read it with ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here's another thing that's very interesting. I had been waiting to to see this happen when I software has been brewing for some time that would create super resolution images. In other words, increase the resolution, increase the size and sharpness and resolution of images. And uh, this is something I've, I worked on this many years ago. Uh, there was an oil rig that exploded and someone had taken photographs of the oil rig, 35 millimeter film photographs um, from near the shore, near the oil platform. And so they had this series of photographs and uh, for legal reasons, they needed to find out details about the oil rig and whether certain doors had been open when the explosion occurred and so forth. And so I worked on a, a team that was creating super resolution images of that oil rig based on these 35 millimeter film photographs that someone had taken near the shore. And um, so it was a very interesting project. Uh, it was sort of early on in the development of super resolution images. And uh, we came up with uh, super resolution images and they were able to figure out what they needed to know from a legal standpoint. And so um, I noticed in reading surveys of super resolution image creation around 2018, that AI software was starting to take the lead in creating those super resolution images. And basically what the AI software does, in a sense, it sort of imagines what the pixels are between the pixels that come in the original image. So you may want to create a super resolution image that's two times the size of your original image or four times the size. I've seen software that are about six times the size. And so what it does is it takes the existing pixels and it uses them to sort of imagine what the pixels are in between. So it's a very interesting way to do that. And it's very good at mimicking certain types of textures and so forth. And I've used it pretty extensively and it's very good. And I was wondering, when is somebody going to implement this in hardware in a video card so that you can, when you're generating frames for a video game or whatever, you can apply this super resolution technology to those frames that you're generating in the video game and thereby dramatically improve the frame rate of the video game. Well, that's what's happening uh, in the 4000 series of NVIDIA's graphics processors, their GPU cards, they're now implementing that technology in hardware. So um, it is boosting uh, pretty dramatically the frame rates, frame rates of games. And so I just thought that's very interesting. I've been, I'm keeping tabs. I create new technologies. I, I, I generate new technologies. And so I have to keep tabs on all this stuff. And uh, so I've been keeping tabs on their graphics processors. And it's been very interesting to see this in performance and to see how it affects frame rates in games. Now, Apple's uh, just announced new Mac OS is called Mac OS Sonoma. And I believe at the Worldwide Developers Conference, they talked a bit about 
using this types of technology within the Sonoma operating system. And so um, I'm sorry, I don't have an article on that. I've, I've just been absorbing so much information uh, that I just didn't keep track of every piece of article or piece of information and where it was coming from. But anyways, I think that's something that we all have to look forward to on these different platforms as time goes on. And I think that also you're going to start seeing this in phones and smartphones. Uh, so it will dramatically improve uh, motion video in smartphones. So um, it will take like gaming on smartphones and tablets to a whole new level, I think. So anyways, I thought that was very interesting. And so that's what I have to say today. Hey, Jim, do you want to go back over? Oh, I just stopped sharing. Do you want to go back over to the Vision Pro? Um, and we can just sort of open up a discussion about our favorite parts and what we see as, um, what's what I want to say, what we see as Apple coming in and um, making some necessary changes to really open up the VR space to the general public. I think that'd be a, an interesting conversation just okay. based on the technology that they chose to focus on. And, you know, with that keynote, what they chose to emphasize to the public. You want me to just show that first opening page from Apple's website, just showing the headset in general, or do you want me to? Yeah, I think if, if you, okay. if you go to just that apple.com, Apple vision and scroll okay. down. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll just keep a sort of a running scroll of that. Let me get back to yeah. the window. I have to reshare now, so I, have, I need to find my window. Here we go. So I will turn off my video so that this will be more smooth. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try it again. There we go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That Let me switch to the... Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I'll go back to this and I'll turn off my... So I think maybe we could just all answer the question, where, <clears throat> what is your favorite part of the Apple device and it, how do you feel like they've improved um, that? What is your favorite part? And then the second part would be, where do you think the best improvements have been made by Apple specifically as compared to all of the other devices that we've talked about in the past month and, you know, or past months and um, that just have been released in the last years. Dom, you've worked so much with other headsets. I'm just wondering, do you have uh, feelings about this? Yes. Um, it, it's interesting that Apple is doing the entire different direction. It is not entire different direction, but they are different from uh, Meta's direction. Meta is more gaming, 3D world. So um, if you see Meta's uh, interface, before it was from far away, right? Right, right now, Apple is still from far away. 
uh, to really close to your hand, right? Because Meta right now wants to make something that you can use your hand to touch, like bring the uh, big canvas closer to you and you use your hand to touch it, right? Because for humans, it's not normal for us to be in this real world. Uh, we see a big canvas and we use our eyes and use this thing, right? This thing need to learn. Your finger, bring it up because in real world, we didn't do this to, to enlarge things. So this is the gestures from Apple is bringing from 2D experience to 3D. And uh, uh, Meta is that uh, mimic the real world experience. So for example, in the future, if we want to see the TV, watch TV, we would like to have a physical controller and press it instead of you know doing all this and remember everything and your eye need to look around. And another question is that, uh, for example, I, 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 I think Apple is bringing the phone 2D experience to, to the 360, but the 2D canvas is still exists in this 3D world. And what made us direction is that we want so immersive. We, we, we don't want to feel that we still need to do 2D stuff because we were already living in the 3D world. So uh, for example, if you see uh, the quick menu, it's that you pinch and you do those things. So we, so for Meta is more like a, everything we want the tangible things immediately. So, so I still feel that I, I know everybody is like all about, wow, it's so beautiful, da, 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 da. but for the perspective from uh, my background and I just feel like they just step into uh, this 3D world and bring their 2D experience. Their 2D is so beautiful. That's the best, the world class, that's no problem. So they put this there. And uh, when I saw all the design materials, they pretty much bring all the foam, you know, Gaussian blur background for the panel, all those stuff. And they, they talk about why they choose this choose that um yeah and uh, meta is different meta is totally into more 3d space and start with interaction and gaming and apple i feel like it's the view master for your iphone uh, <laughs> it's like a still canvas thinking and still more like module thinking as for uh, metas one they start breaking down into different things and using generative AI. So I think those two, one is more like uh, uh, um, your phone, all the all the stuff. Because when I saw the, the ad advertising posters for, for uh, Apple, is that you have your phone next to you or you have your MacBook Pro in front of you and you wear that headset. And uh, for Meta, I feel like uh, the, the entire design concept is like, if I have a headset, why should I need my phone, right? This needs to go away. So Meta's design is more 3D immersive thinking. I know the design probably not as beautiful as, as um, Apple, but uh, I think they are more thinking about gaming 
Well, intuitive. I, I, yeah. You know, I think there's one thing to keep in mind, and that is you can develop for the Meta headset with Unity, for example. Mm. And you can develop for the Apple set headset with Unity as well. All the same types of things. Mm. All the same types of things that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention one thing. I just want to bring it up before I forget. Uh, Apple is using what's called foveated rendering within the headset. And so what that means is that near the center of your visual focus, you see a lot more details than out at the periphery. So what they do is they concentrate their processing power towards the center of your visual focus and use less processing power for the periphery, less detail in the periphery, which matches your retina on your eye. So um, that way they can uh, pretty dramatically improve performance by allocate, allocating processing power to where you need it the most. But I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, Don, go ahead. Oh yeah, but I, I do think Apple bring a really good value and level up the entire visual qualities and interaction. I think Apple is very focused on the details of every single pixels. So I think this will bring uh, the consumer another visual good experience because a lot of people, they don't like using AR, VR is because of all the, imagine developers. For a developer doing an app is that as long as the function is there, I'm done. But for a designer or people who are, who kind of want to have a good, I would say experience, experience design is probably start with the millennial because millennials was pretty much well raised and uh, they pretty much enjoy the all the hard work that their parents did for them. So they love traveling, they love enjoying their lives. So I think this types of uh, kind of like experience uh, seeking will tell us to more people who love high quality stuff. So I do, I really like Apple level up the game and using different perspective and bring the new energy uh, for UI. Cause if you think about that, if everything is so intuitive, I feel like what's the point of having so many complicated canvas-like and uh, um, yeah, like web look-like types of structure living in the 3D space, uh, you can definitely reduce a lot. But I think Apple is starting and level up the those UI designs. So I feel like, wow, if Apple, this types of, thinking is dominant, the market, then UX UI designer still probably have jobs or can produce a lot of pixels. So <laughs> oh, there was one other thing that I, I forgot to mention, and you're sort of touching on the developers now. Um, there is a laptop that's coming out this month from Asus with a 3D display on it. And um, I've talked about that before. And one of the things that they're doing with that laptop is they're providing plugins so that you can use the laptop in 3D using the 3D display with various creator apps that use 3D models, such as Blender, Cinema 4D, and so forth. Now, I did not see any mention at the Worldwide Developer Conference of Apple working on plugins for developers who use those programs. And I would really like to see that. Um, 
I would like to encourage Apple to create plugins for that. And I think that would be fabulous because uh, you could use the same user interface that you always use for those applications. And then instead of having a two display, 2D display that's showing just a 2D projection of the 3D models, you would actually see the 3D models themselves. I think that would be really cool. But go ahead, Don. Yeah, I mean, those are pretty much what I think is that Apple's still um, crafting the 2D UI and upgrade uh, 2D into a little 3D dimension and with a lot of small details. Um, yeah, um, Meta is more focusing on imagine how can we mimic the real world and bring 3D and break up the, the canvas. So for example, like in Meta, the leaders wants us to ditch out the 2D thinking of UI, of experience. They want to think it like a game. Like, oh, this is a, for example, like this is a interesting experience. How can I immediately record my entire experience and share with my friend without going through all the traditional way? Like, oh, I need to do something and do something. And how can I reduce the process? And just more like using the technology and use the different ways. Well, uh, one so, thing you can yeah. one thing you can do with this this headset mm -hmm. is you can turn on the video recording mm -hmm. and walk outside, go to the park, mm -hmm. and make a recording. And when you play that back, mm -hmm. of course, you're not able to move anywhere you want within that space, but you can play that back and you see something that is absolutely real. Looking. Oh, for Meta Quest series, they are not recommending you bring the headset outside. I so, uh, yeah yeah well it's that's another issue. That's another issue yeah, about they, they, yeah. what what should you or should you not do while you're wearing this headset? Yeah, uh, and the interesting and thing is that um, they have a Ray Ban partnership. The the a a the the kind of like the smart glass, I would I I think I mentioned it. I wore it to to habit hammer yeah, and I did yeah. the recording and nobody noticed. So yeah, yeah. they're not gonna, they're not going to let you wear this headset at the gym, for example. Yeah, that feels like you know everything about them is pretty scary. And how can you even wear that thing and exercise, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can I wanted to follow oh. up from uh, Dom that I completely agree that it felt like Meta is more way more focused on a gaming experience and and bringing consumers a new way of interacting with the world. So what is defining a new playbook as opposed to operating off of existing ideas on how we experience anything? you know, technology and, and the spaces around us. Whereas Apple, it feels like, um, you know, it's extending your phone or extending your computer. And I think that they even said that at some point, it, maybe not in such precise words, but that they were extending, um, bringing the, the phone to life or bringing your computer to life and being able to see 
the moments that you capture with an iPad or a phone differently. Just, just like where Jim is right now, photos and videos being the moment all over again. Um, and what it was an interesting, when I was watching it, I, it was, a, I felt it was a very interesting reaction where I don't know that I felt let down by the experience because it, there's so much absolutely amazing technology, like Jim pointed out initially with um, all of the different, very custom processing power that had to be created to do everything that it's showing you. And with all of that incredibly um, rigorous technology that they have created, I think they said they had over, what was it, like over 500 patents or something filed 5, for this? 5,000. Or 5,000, 5, yeah, 5,000 patents just to create this, this, um, this device, what it can do or what they were focusing on was like, Oh, okay. I can have cooler pictures. Oh, well, I think, okay. I, I think it, what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. I looked right. at this video and I thought of all the things I could do way beyond what you saw in the video. So yeah. I, I think and, what we're seeing is nothing compared to what you can do with this. Absolutely. But you know, I, that's very, very intentional. And the, the so I'm thinking about it from like a marketing standpoint, why did they make all of these decisions? That's my background. And it was like, why did they choose the people to present? What, what were the stories that they were sharing to pitch this device? And the thing that I just kept coming back to over and over and over again, is that there are two, uh, there's more than two, but that, you know, it generally, you could think about user technology users as people who love running into the unknown into the wild wild west and being like let's do this what is the new thing that i can learn how are you recreating a universe and you know where is technology going and then you have another band of people who are like i don't want anything to change at all I am fine with the way things are. I know how to use the things that I know how to use and I'm happy with them. And the greater majority of people fall into that second camp of it's fine. I have the technology that I need. I have the whatever, not even technology. I have the tools. I have the clothes. I have the music that I need. I don't really need anything else. And so the to move those people forward, you're actually thinking, how do I move the general public forward? And so it is, it's not even one step at a time. It's like one inch at a time and then another inch and then another inch and another inch. And you're just slowly, slowly leading people with breadcrumbs to the next step. And so I think that it really did take somebody like Apple who their entire focus has always been um, incredibly intuitive and user-friendly design to come up with a product and a marketing campaign that that gave the general public a breadcrumb into the next step. So as Don said, I feel like they're thinking about things in the 2D space, but that is how most people are thinking. And you can't expect people, most people to go from thinking 2D to thinking how where is my navigation? I'm excited to figure out how to navigate. Most people wanted to think, just show me exactly what it needs to do. Like, I don't, I don't want to try to think it out or try to figure it out. I just want to know. And so the, this immediate one inch forward is taking a, a 
interface from the phone or from a iPad or a computer that people are very familiar with and focusing on that as this immediate release and immediate next step forward. So people are like, oh, I have a better understanding of how I'm going to use this because I'm familiar with the navigation. I'm familiar with the idea of, um, you know, having these windows up and I'm, I know that I have faced the frustration of, oh, I wish I could have seven or eight windows up at a time because I'm using, you know, flipping between screens. And so giving people just that, like, yes, you're going to be familiar with the interface and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to sound amazing and it's going to be very immersive. And I promise you that your cousins, your children, your husband, they're not going to be put off by you wearing this. And also, you know, you can use multi-screens. That is, that is the thing. Like for all the times that you've wanted to look at two or three different things at the same time, here you go. And as Jim has said, this thing is so freakishly powerful. The fact that that has this R1 chip in it that was custom created to be able to process, what is it, 10 or 12 different cameras and all of the different um, audio sensors. Auto sensor data, yeah. Right, all of those things, you give it two, three, four, five, six years, and that is insane computational power to be able to create beautiful experiences, but because there has been such this, like, yes, I'm interested in this, but then I put it down. Like people have joked that the, the Oculus is a paperweight because they get excited about it and then they don't pick it up again. And so Apple, and from what I can see, they are trying to encourage people, the rest of the people who have not joined in on the, the Oculus train, get them, get their money, buy it, get their buy-in, and then give them a reason to use it in the day-to-day. Whereas that's that to me is what Meta had failed to do up to this point is what is the day-to-day? And they were focusing on, well, you know, you can hang out and watch a movie with your friends. Or you can hang out in a room and, you know, do work co-working or, you know, whatever the case may be, but people just weren't interested in that. And it, it could be that that just wasn't the right thing to focus on based on the people who had the buying power. The people who had the buying power are not... um they're not traditionally, I want to be completely immersed in technology. There are people who they grew up without technology. They still want to be, you know, having those face-to-face interactions. Um, and, you know, versus something like this, where the emphasis is first on pass-through. So you, you don't lose your set, you don't lose yourself in the world. And so I, I, I don't know that I think that one is even better than the other. I think that they're just for drastically different markets and they will push the boundaries in different areas. And from, if I were going to put some money in the situation, I would say that Apple will open up a lot of doors to people using a VR device once it becomes um, financially accessible. Cause right now it's certainly not financially accessible before the, before this recording, we were talking briefly that the price starts at 3500 but then with everything that you would ideally need to have a seamless experience you're looking at 4500 plus dollars with lenses and extra this and that 
So it's, you know, it's not going to immediately capture the general audience, but that to me seems like that's where they are trying to go. Is that again, coming back to that breadcrumb of if the meta was too much, if it was too immersive, if it was, you know, like just too much for you to figure out, well, here is an immediate next step and a, a good reason to use VR without getting, you know, lost in the rabbit down the rabbit hole of, you know, what, what has happened in the time that I have, I have put this on for, you know, you think you're in there for 30 minutes and it's been an hour and a half. That's, I, that's my take on things. I think that we have, well, we have a lot of people in our group who are uh, interested in uh, stereo 3D. And that's where you have images that, a different image for the left eye and the right eye so that you can perceive depth directly. And for them, when they see this, they just say, oh my goodness, this is like the holy grail as far as that is concerned. And, um, you know, in the video, we do not see, we do not actually see anything in 3D in the video uh, of, of this device because we're watching a 2D video. But one of the things that I think is striking people without them realizing what they're really looking at is that once you see all of this in 3D instead of 2D, it's a whole different experience. And um, so when I show people my 3D photographs in 3D, they often are floored because they didn't even realize you could see something like this in, in terms of photographs and video. So um, I think it's very exciting. I can't wait to get one. Oh, yeah. So anything Should else? Um, yeah. Should I stop sharing? Do you have other things to? Uh, Jacqueline, do you want to share anything? Did we lose Jacqueline? Oh, here we go. So we were just talking about this. Um, so I'm going to be talking about some regulation issues that are coming up or not maybe necessarily regulation issues, but some debates over regulations. That's what I was talking about last week and that um, there are a lot of people who are really, really pushing for fast action to be able to put some regulation around things. Um, and then uh, a couple instances of the good, an instance of the bad. And then I, I'll point out uh, a couple updates that I have really enjoyed from ChatGPT. So to go over this article uh, by Gary Marcus. It's, it's incredibly well-written and I don't think feel that it's super biased given that it's, it is an opinion article, but <clears throat> the title is two models of AI oversight and how things could code deeply wrong. And the, the article talks about that. Yes, we are moving forward with regulation and yes, everybody is so excited that, that, the Senate and just everyone, just the the royal we of government as a whole has an understanding that they needed to have acted faster when it came to 
whether you want to call it big tech or big data or social media, everybody has this understanding that, hey, we probably should have done something and we just didn't and we just didn't and we just didn't. And now, you know, there are a variety of great things that have come from that and a variety of terrible things that have come from it, which you don't need to go into because we've talked about some of that stuff in the past. But um, the what I find really interesting is that um, this this tweet from Rachel Coldicut kind of uh, sums it up pretty well is that this that there was a press release that happened that for the UK AI Safety Summit. It featured DeepMind, Anthropic, uh, Plantier, Microsoft, and faculty, but not a single voice from civil society or academia and no one with lived experience of algorithmic harms. And so as we're moving forward and as we're seeing these regulations trying to be loosely put in just to do a stopgap between um, actual law and uh, where we are right now, which is the wild, wild west. And we don't need a repeat of the NFT space, which truly was the wild, wild west. And it was a terrifying environment um, that we're seeing government behave the way that government behaves, which is that they are they're putting in regulation, but who is making the regulation and who is it serving? And so I'm, I've was seeing a lot of articles pop up this week that said, essentially, we can either put in regulation that is actually helpful, which thinks about the betterment of humanity. And, you know, if this is a best case and worst case scenario, the positive future and the bleak future, um, the positive future is that the AI agency was formed and AI was thoughtfully regulated. Um, because the responsible AI is prestigious, is a prestigious position. New technology emerges, such and such. Um, AI begins to contribute to the world, addressing issues that their speculations are hoping it it can address, which is climate change, medicine, elder care, so on. And then he goes into the bleak future, which again, these are extremes. So it the the truth will be someplace in the middle, right? But the bleak future is that conflicts over which risks to address precluded anything from happening in AI safety and AI ethics. People couldn't agree on anything. Um, we get stuck on large language models and never invent anything better, more reliable, which I mean, that's that's neither here nor there in terms of regulations. But a small number of companies quickly become far more powerful than states running the world as they please, shutting out all competition with ill-conceived regulation, cybercrime syndicates and big companies began an epic battle reminiscent of the drug cartel. Again, this is like blown out of the water. Um, and then he says employment crashes and widespread unrest, civil wars and anarchy, which it's, it's funny, but it's not. And the, the thing that they are trying to say, the, the thing that the the author is trying to say here is that um, the way that we we push forward in these immediate next steps is really going to have a profound impact on the direction that AI goes um, and AI regulation goes. And so, you know, if if AI regulation is done in the same way that everything else is done, which is you have a few different people 
sitting in a room figuring out who is benefited the most from whatever regulation needs to happen, then that's not necessarily going to be the the um the thing that gets us into that oh so positive future where AI is majestically solving all of the world's problems because you're not actually getting people in the room who have the experience to be able to say, hey, we probably need to actually, you know, have this happen instead of this happen, even though it's not going to make you money, even though it's, you know, not going to help your stock portfolio. It's, it is what needs to happen. And so I think that that is a conversation that really needs to continue to be had and people really need to speak up and say, sure, we get that politics are politics and everybody is scratching everyone's back, but learning from the past and understanding how, you know, without you thinking about the good of the people, we get to this place where data feels, big data has felt very invasive and it's also had a lot of, um, had a lot of detrimental side effects to people's psyche. And <clears throat> so I feel like the more we talk about it, the better off we are in, in hopefully getting people who are putting these policies in place to make some good decisions. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, but to get a good group of people talking instead of the way that things normally play out. Um, and then another <laughs> This article is just hilarious, uh, and it it comes from there <laughs> not being a ton of good regulation. And I, I'm not saying that this would have happened if there were there was regulation, because this is also about just people not being educated because the technology is so new that lawyer blames the AI chatbot after citing a fictitious law case, and so in um it was in a New York circuit that these two lawyers were totally called out because the uh Steven Schwartz and Peter Laduca were were hurrying to to get their paperwork filed and they asked ChatGPT something and ChatGPT hallucinated and so then the the judge said to them what was let me see if I can find this he he read or the judge castell the the judge read the the information that ChatGPT had come up with and asked these two lawyers did you even look at what you had put here because had you looked even for like read even three words you would have seen how ridiculous this is but you didn't and so it <clears throat> oh here it is <laughs> Can we agree that it's legal gibberish? And, you know, so then you have these attorneys who are like, we sincerely apologize. And we've suffered personally and professionally and feel embarrassed and all of the things. Um, but they're it, in big, they're in big trouble. And yeah. you, you can get disbarred over something like this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's the, the person who's defending them, which is so terrible. Let me see if I can find this. The, the person defending them said, 
something to the effect of, well, attorneys are notoriously not great with technology. And um, so this attorney was using a new technology and didn't really think about what he was doing. So this is, he's saying he was playing with live ammo. And so the defense the defense rests on attorneys are not great at technology and they didn't really know what they were doing. Cut them some slack and, you know, everybody can learn from this particular case, which is horrible. But also it just it does go to show you how important it is that as people are learning to use AI and we've talked about this so many times, people just believe without blinking what these language models are telling you. And it is of the utmost importance that no matter what it is telling you to just do a quick search and make sure that it's correct. Because if you're working, if you're asking it law questions, if you're asking it, you know, health related questions, you could do some serious damage to yourself, your job, your reputation. If you're not looking at these as an experiment as, you know, it's learning from us and we're learning from it, but you still have to be the adult in this situation and make sure that you do your due diligence so that you don't get called out by a New York judge saying that you're an idiot, which is horrible, but it's a good lesson learned. Um, And then uh, in a positive use of the, I'll go to these first, a positive use of um, thinking about these as learning, knowing that they're going to get it wrong, but moving forward. I know I've talked about this in the past when we were very first talking about ChatGPT and looking at their original partners that Khan Academy was one of those original partners. And now here we are, what is it like six months later or no more than that seven eight months later <clears throat> that um articles are starting to come out on this Saul Khan and his vision for how to move education online learning and uh tutoring forward and so he, him and his team created this uh this con migo like con friend con amigo hybrid of those two words and the AI guides the students through math problems, helps them debug code, um, serves as a debate partner, and even engages in conversations using different voices. Then um, that's just, you know, to name a few. So I, I really like that somebody did do a follow-up, is doing follow-ups on people who are, are um, taking steps forward and thinking about how how this technology can be um, utilized in education. And I, I, the thing that I love about this, I think it's closer to the end. Um, so the students can ask, just like we can, you can ask ChatGPT, hey, can you frame that? Or can you answer this like a five-year-old? Can you answer this from an academic standpoint? Can you answer this, you know, in five five bulleted points? these students are saying, can you answer this using Gen Z slang? Can you answer this with in Korean? Can you answer this, um, you know, in, in a way that is deeply, more deeply resonating than um, 
a human tutor would be able to. A, just a, any run-of-the-mill tutor is not going to be able to switch from English to Korean to Gen Z. And so this feels like a really amazing application that would be able to help students re get met exactly where they are in um, the process of learning something complicated like math or a new language. Uh, and then I still looking for the quote, but essentially the, the end of the article says at some point that um, the students are hitting snags. They are seeing the one student asked it a basic arithmetic question and the, this conamigo got it wrong or conamigo got it wrong. And so the, the actual people who are monitoring this said, you can understand, like you, you seeing that this computer got it wrong means that you are understanding that it's important for you to really understand this material and to fact check, but also to understand that we're learning and it's learning and to not take everything that it's saying as, um, you know, law and so said the word of God, but that you have to have a healthy amount of, um, distrust is not a good word, but you, you have to have a healthy amount of understanding that, that it could get it wrong and learning AI from that standpoint to me feels incredibly important. And of course, children are going to be more open to something like that than, you know, the attorneys also needed to learn that it's not, it's, you can't take everything that it says for face value, but the attorneys were looking for for a very fast answer, whereas these children are are being trained to have a healthy skepticism, but also to use it as a tool, which I think is just like the perfect balance of adapting something as powerful as AI. Um, and then this is just another good example of AI being used. And we'll see what happens. Um, Meet your new executive assistant, a powerful AI named Atlas. And I, I'm seeing, we, I've talked about this either last week or the week prior, but um, that uh, there are a lot of people who are using the these AI technologies to become, or to help streamline processes, to um, help plan events. And so all of this is culminating into yet another assistant and um, not necessarily that this one is anything, anything special in particular, but I think I wanted to point out that it feels like we are going to continue to see um, AI being used to this degree where, let me see if I can find it. It's not a large language model. It's, it was trained on, what is it, 11 million data points and um Oh no, 11 billion. Let's see. The model is much smaller at 11 billion parameters, whereas ChatGPT is 170 billion. So <clears throat> as, we're as we're thinking about how AI is going to be evolving, um, I imagine that we will continue to see these smaller AI models that are more cost-effective, that are trained to be doing a very specific thing coming out. Um, and that is the technology to 
continue to watch for is who is making, who, who are making, who is making, um, smaller, very specific niche models and where, what problems are they solving and who's behind them? The person who's behind this project was, um, Babak Palavan, Palavan, I probably butchered that. Uh, and he actually came from Google. And so I, it'll be interesting to see where a project like this goes in the future. Um, and then uh, just a very quick update for those of you who have been using the Bing and their, their uh, language model, that there are a couple new announcements that that seem to be really awesome. Um, their wait, they've opened up their wait list. So it's just going to be free to, to use for everybody. Well, it was always free, but it's going to be available to use for everybody. If they're moving from text only search and chats to one that's based more on visuals. So you're going to be able to, um, to do Theoretically, you're going to be able to do uh, image searches, and it will also give video answers and image back image answers back. And then, <clears throat> moving from single use chat to search sessions, to uh, search sessions to multi session productivity experiences with chat history and persistent chats. And this actually, of all of the things that are coming out, this one to me is the most helpful because I am working on something. What If I'm working on something, I'm working on something for multiple days. I mean, if not weeks. And so to be able to have a chat session that is going to be able to persist without the, the they stopped that because people were pushing it and, and, um, pushing it in a direction that was not necessarily safe. And we've talked about that in the past. So we don't need to really bring, bring that stuff up again, but I'm glad to see that they are figuring out ways to be able to have persistent chat experiences without, you know, having the large language models go off the rails and talk about that they should leave their partners and, <laughs> do all sorts of crazy things. And then the other big one is that they're uh, opening up platform capabilities so that developers and third parties can build on top of Bing to help people take actions on their queries and complete tasks. So, um, you know, Microsoft in this article, if if you're interested in in learning more about this, it's, it's a worthwhile article to read on I'll, going into a little bit more about what this um, what each of these points will mean. Uh, and that is from Microsoft's blog. But um, one of the one of the things that it says, it might have been in this article, might not have been, but that the Microsoft's goal was to make Google dance. Like that, there was, that was just this like top level, we want to make Google dance. And I love that because I think there's a lot of people who wanted that to happen because Google, for as amazing as they are, really had this complex, like nobody can compete with, nobody can compete with us. And, you know, we are sort of the final say on all of the things. And so I'm happy to see that Microsoft is really continuing 
to move forward in what seems like a successful partner, not a partnership, but for lack of a better word, we'll just say a successful partnership with uh, ChatGPT. That was an incredible win on their part that they they funded um, ChatGPT and now they have access to they have access to ChatGPT's models and. Um, from what I've read, they don't necessarily have to wait for ChatGPT to release anything for them to make technological advancements and release their own technology. So they, wh- whether or not ChatGPT does what Bing does is inconsequential, they have the ability to move forward using this technology. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with Microsoft, uh, somewhere in this article, it says how much they have increased their foot traffic in terms of people both downloading um, Edge as well as using their AI. And I mean, it's unreal how much of a gap they closed between them and Google in such a short period of time. Um, And so then to bring back up or to to show a tie-in, which is a great tie-in. If you have the paid version of ChatGPT, you can switch back and forth between 3.5 and 4. But then recently they've added that you can browse with Bing, which is in beta. They also have some um, plugins that you can, or you can search using plugins or you can search and interact with their this model using Bing. And so you can um, you can ask it to browse the internet and it will. Let's see if it'll work. So whereas the chat GPT that we have all been using, it was limited to 2021 data. Um, now it's it, you can see that it can click on a link, it can read the content, and then um, it shows this process. It's scrolling down. And then you know once it has finished, then it will bullet point. So even though the data set that it's being trained on isn't hasn't been updated to current you're able to get a lot more um relevant data because it can search with bing so i think that you know however bing and chat gpt end up whether they stay side by side or you know as time goes on they sort of move off into their own directions I'm really loving the partnerships they have been coming up with so far. That is all that I have this week. Dom, you want to take it over? So what's, because I I did the free version. Do you see like what else that uh, ChatGPT4 can do? I know they can do the website. Is that drawing some wireframe and... So they haven't updated that yet. That technology is not available. I don't know when it's going to be available. I am so excited for that technology to be available. And I'm imagining that as, so because Microsoft released that they are going to be able to, let me see if I can find this here. I'll 
reshare. Yeah, I saw a lot of things. For example, like、uh, AI, AI can code for you. And I saw、yeah. another one. It's on my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is pretty much my my notes. If I see something, I repost. And later on, if I kind of wanna go back to see what's the in- inspiration. But I remember one、uh, website. Pretty much, you just write something you want, and it will generate the entire e-commerce site for you. Yeah, that's a that was in the ChatGPT four release when, what was that like two two ish months ago, something or like that. Um, that they were going to be able to, from a sketch, be able to build out a website. That you were going to be able to search using photos. It was going to be able to reply using photos. There was, I believe, that they were also going to be able to、um, take a two D photo and、um, convert it to some amount of video. Don't quote me on that one, but I'm almost positive that was one of the updates. So I we haven't seen any of those updates yet, but my guess is that again because they're partnering so closely with Microsoft, I don't know who had that technology first. Whether it was Microsoft, I mean, as you can see here, new Bing features, they have image creators built into their、um, search engine, and currently they're the only search engine that has this feature built in. Which in Google you can do a Uh, use Google Lens to do a reverse image search, and then it searches all of Google for, you know, similar properties to that photo. But this, you, but it does not have photo generation, and so this is taking ChatGPT's、um, image creation, building that in, so you can ask it to do, or ask it to create images in your search,、um, and then you will also be able to do those.、Um, Do the you should be able to do the photo searches. So again, I <clears throat> not having any insight into who's been working on what. The fact that Microsoft is releasing this technology and ChatGPT was released released months ago that this is something that they were working on.、Um, my guess is that we will see that in the next few months. Is that you'll be able to begin. Interacting with ChatGPT with photos, and you'll be able to from sketches、um, create websites that are fully coded out. And I don't, I don't know if we shared that video for、uh, listeners today. On ChatGPT had a had a release event, and they had an amazing video that's available on YouTube to be able to、um, look at all of the. Most most recent developments that they weren't out at the time of that video, and that's what we're talking about. But I am guessing that they will be coming out soon since Microsoft released this announcement just this last week. Um, but just Dom to answer your question, let me just go back to ChatGPT here. So, um. You can browse with Bing, and this is the beta, like I was telling you about. And then this is the plugins. So if you have plugins enabled, then you are able to、um, more directly work specifically with that. So this for developers is awesome. And I know that in 
and you have some classes where you're using chat GPT with, um, visuals, what is that visual studio? And, um, there's amazing interaction there. So this is an even more sort of not, not dumbed down, but like a, a more user-friendly way to be able to get people to use chat GPT with some of the plugins that are available. So it'll be very interesting to see. And this was within the last couple of weeks that this, this technology was, or that these changes were made. So I, but interestingly, they're, they're making these changes sort of quietly. And I don't know if it's that they're, they're not wanting to draw crazy attention to themselves for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know that it has to be a strategic move. I don't know if that's because they're, they're working on the regulations and legislation situation or, you know, what the case is. But for those people who are um, following ChatGPT 4 and the changes that they are making, there's not a lot of um, press that's coming out. So you really have to keep a close eye on these, these updates that, that come out kind of quietly. The, the plugins have been around for at least a month or more. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Wolfram has got their own plugin, and there are, I think, a number of plugins. But um, one of the interesting things to me is that the it doesn't get much coverage in the press. But everything you're doing here with ChatGPT, it's in it's within an account, and mm-hmm. uh, the same goes. You know, if you're going to use the Microsoft version. Um, it's within an account. If you're going to use the Google stuff, it's within an account. So all of these search engine mechanisms now encompass all of your efforts within an account. So they know exactly what you're interested in, exactly what you're doing. So from an advertising perspective, it's a wonderful thing. And um, so that allows the search engines to make more money. You know, if somebody had privacy plugins and things like that, they, in the past, uh, the search engines weren't able to track those people as carefully, but now they can. So um, that's another interesting thing. It's just upgrading the the data collecting, like yes. giving you mm-hmm. a, a better powerful tools and you will give your data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, the, the other thing I want to mention was um, I went to a copyright uh, seminar the other day uh, put on by a copyright attorney and um, a professional photographer who have written books on copyrights in the past. And they talked about uh, the courts sort of getting a handle on AI and regulations catching up with AI. They said, well, the internet has been around for 30 years and they still haven't caught with, caught up with that. So they're never going to ca- catch up with the AI stuff. And I, I think the, the interesting thing about AI regulations is the devil is in the details. So I'm interested in seeing the details of what people want to do uh, with regards to regulation. The, um, the I think that there's a good idea of uh, being able to check what comes out of the computer, what comes out of these chatbots and so forth, uh, and seeing, giving the user some way of figuring out what the validity is of what they're seeing come out of these as outputs. And um, they talked about that particular court case that you had mentioned and others. Uh, and uh, I think it would be great to be able to, to figure out how, 
how correct is this information that I'm seeing? Because people tend to believe anything that comes out of a computer. And so um, that's sort of a danger. Imperson impersonation is sort of a danger. There was um, some news reports of someone coming out with a <laughs> a video of Putin talking oh, uh, yeah. about something that was just totally fabricated. And um, so I think that's one of the concerns that people have is that these fabricated video from national leaders are going to start coming out. And, you know, you don't want people to go in. It's, it's sort of like War of the Worlds. Yeah, you know, this, that, that impersonation. The yeah, that there has been, there have been a number of people who are speculating that this, this next election that comes up will be one of the craziest and most like rambunctious elections because technology has evolved to such a point that you can create content you can create hate content you know slamming the other side and the the general public is not necessarily going to know whether it's right or wrong and there's going to be a lot of people who are like this is fake this is wrong like this is ai generated but then despite that you'll have people be like no it's real i know it's real because you know what whoever my news anchor put this out there and so it has to be real on either side i'm not even claiming that it's just you know a left or a right like everybody plays dirty and so it will be very interesting to see what happens you know and who who works with some indie artists to have some like whatever candidate doing ridiculous things and, and to that point even if everyone is like this is obviously not real the brain is so impressionable that you can know that something's not real, but then this, like the craziness of that video stays with you and leaves like a, it, it brings you down and leaves a, like you're in the, the negative points, you know, it's, you're not, <clears throat> it's not a, an, even a neutral thing. Like it can leave, it can leave the audience um, with less respect for a candidate, even knowing that it's not real, but that yeah. is how impressionable we are. One of the things that the lawyer said in this seminar was that it has really changed uh, the the way you conduct copyright cases in court. He said that um, this is sort of the flip side of that. And he said that it used to be that the standard of proof was you would show a photograph and people believed what was in the photograph. But nowadays, a jury on a jury, nobody believes what they see in a photograph. So it 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 raises the standard of proof for a lot of things and raises the cost of copyright litigation uh, because now you have to go through further uh, efforts to try to show that uh, a photograph is legitimate and real. So he says they'll never catch up with AI. So um, <laughs> it'll be really true, but my fingers are still crossed that people can change. Well, the world the, can't change. Well, a lot of the lawmakers who are saying we need to regulate AI, I, I don't see a whole lot of concrete steps that they want to take, concrete regulations that they want to carry out, because, frankly, they don't understand any of this stuff. Yet. Even the people who are creating the technology don't understand how it's working. So it's very difficult for Congress to come up with regulations of things that they really don't understand. And so um, it's a tall order, I think.
I, one of the, a couple of the things that I know continue to come up, which we will all be grateful if they do end up on this initial legislation is that they do want, um, for large language models, you have to only create, you, you can only be trained on data where people have opted in. And then the other thing that they really are pushing for is that they want, um, they want anything that's been created by AI to have to be man. Like you have to say, yes, this was created by AI. Um, and it has to have some sort of a watermark that cannot be removed showing that it was creative by AI, which, you know, I have mixed emotions on that, but those are two of the big ones that they are trying to push forward is getting opt in, which I deeply hope that that goes forward because there's just really no downside to that. People, the artists, the writers, the musicians, everybody, content creators that for the last ever since forever deserve to have an, the recognition for the work that they've done and moving forward, the people who are creating it have a right to say whether they want to opt in. And then if they do opt in, then what I, there's, I don't think I've seen anything specifying the, then what, like, do you get paid? Do you get yeah. your name? Cited oh, there's someplace? a case right now with, with uh, Getty images, they're working with Adobe and NVIDIA so that if you, uh, use NVIDIA's gener or Adobe's generative AI stuff, um, the you people get some sort of compensation. They, they do get compensation. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, this lawyer said that one of the things he's starting to see, well, a couple of things. One is that um, they're starting to see people who produce visual work are saying that none of this work that we're giving you was created using artificial intelligence. And um, another thing that he mentioned was, in fact, we've covered some of these articles before about uh, like large clothing companies uh, starting to use models that they pay a one-time fee to. And then the company takes those models that they create of those human models and they just put whatever clothes they want on those models. And then they don't need to uh, bring them to photo shoots and pay them for individual photo shoots anymore. And this lawyer said that um, if a model comes to him and wants to sign one of those agreements, he said, you have to find a new lawyer because once you sign this agreement, your career is over because nobody's going to want to pay you anything else ever again. And he talked about Getty Images and that they provide sort of minuscule fees to photographers that provide images to them. So um, he's sort of critical of that. Um, so it's an interesting landscape. He also said that some of these court cases now are starting to make their way through the court system and that companies that have sued these AI companies for scanning their images and using them in generative AI the, they're not able to win those court cases. And the reason is that you have to not only show that they scanned your images, but you have to show in court the images that they created as a result of that scanning process. And you usually don't have that information if you're you know, showing images on the internet because 
it's very difficult for to come up with a result that includes your images. So it happens, their images get included in, in generative AI results. Like, for example, I've used generative AI to create various things. And um, one time I it generated an image that said shutter, shutter uh, stock across the width of the image. And so in that case, yeah, you do have a result that shows a Shutterstock image, uh, but it's it's very rare for somebody to be able to come up with that. That's an interesting idea of whether you can come up with that on purpose. But um, it's those cases are not being won by the people who supply images. But if you had a system where you could opt in and it was based on tags within your website, uh, then if they scanned your images, despite you having tags in your website that said, do not scan my images, then you might have something. I don't know. I don't think that has gone into the court system yet. No. So it's an interesting landscape and um, it will take time to um, for this stuff to make its way through the legal system. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> but again, like just reiterating how important it is for these legislators to um, continue to step up, even though it's hard, because the 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 dark side of AI and how quickly things can get out of hand. I mean, even even something like there are a, a, at least four or five that I ran into just this past week of scammy chat gpt like ai apps yes. where I, it's like I, 67 or 69 dollars and you get unlimited access and it's you know oh it's cheaper than chat gpt and we're so much better and the graphics are beautiful and all of the things and it is a complete scam wow. and they have people writing their reviews about how it's awesome but you know like they're just farmed, they're farmed reviews and it's like totally bogus. I, I went to a site that I'm not going to say what the URL is, but it's a URL that you would expect to be able to type in to get to some of these legitimate sites. And I typed in this URL and um, it gave me what seemed to be free access to chat GPT without establishing an account. And so I started typing in some queries. I thought, this is interesting. And uh, it said, well, you might want to change your query a little bit because this isn't giving us much results. So I changed it. And it was giving me better results. And it was interesting. And then all of a sudden, it took over the web page and was just showing an ad based on what I had typed in. And it was a total, a total scam. Yeah. So we're going to see more, more of that. Oh, absolutely. And the, um, I mean, the... There, you have people who create bogus apps all the time. So, like, I don't know if that actually would be able to fall into the legislation, but it's, but that is just the absolute tip of the iceberg on how crazy it gets. And actually, that talking about this, I do remember one of the other parts of the legislation that they're trying to get through is um, transparency in in what was what the language models are being trained on as well as having to do a check-in periodically i don't know what their timeline is but some sort of periodic check-in as an audit to see what new data is being used as well as what the language model is being used for so that and this that 
um, the transparency that they're trying to push through would be applicable to models over a particular size. So if you had, if you had created your own very small AI model, then you wouldn't necessarily be subject to that amount of legislation. But, you know, for these bigger ones, and probably that on the article that I had showed you that the Atlas would be a candidate for somebody who would have to then go through, show what the, what was the model was trained on, as well as do these periodic check-ins to make sure that it's functioning in a way that is, you know, fair, valid, healthy, safe, and that people aren't adding updates um, that weren't there initially. And I'll just really quickly touch on this, that there was a, a language model that was being used by I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was, it had something to do with the, um, it was like mental health and eating disorders. So, but a nonprofit that was responsible for get, providing people with, um, resources for, um, unhealthy eating habits in whatever the spectrum they had been using an AI for years. Well, they had partnered with somebody recently and the, the the people who partnered with it said that they were doing a free update to be able to make it more conversational was how they had put it. Well, they also had changed something in their data um, as well as re removed certain guidelines for what it could and couldn't do. So then over the past let's say four to six months, this language model had started to give people in feedback like, well, if you're struggling with what you're eating, you should consider diet and exercise. And that is a massive trigger to somebody who has an eating disorder and the complete opposite of what it should have been saying. And so or an audit- bring up a McDonald's ad at that point. Exactly. Right, exactly. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And so the uh, one of the users copied and pasted this conversation and was like, what is happening? You know, why is this language model giving me advice about how to diet when I'm on here, you know, trying to recover from the trauma of, a, of an eating disorder? Immediately, the model got shut down. Immediately, everything was pulled. It's paused indefinitely. And they're researching what happened. And they finally figured out, like I was saying, that an update was pushed. Nobody was made aware. And they had turned off guidelines and, and these like safety guidelines to be able to make sure that something like this couldn't happen. And no one knew except for the people who were managing this database. And so a regulatory audit would help to make sure that, you know, you can't do something like that. You can't push a, a update through that removes guide rails, or you would have to be in like painstakingly clear about what this is doing and then do more, more data testing to make sure that your model is still responding in the way that you think it's supposed to, as opposed to telling people who are traumatized by diet and exercise to just go ahead and limit your calorie intake to 2000 calories. Like, holy crap, worst case scenario in that regard. I think part of the problem is that they're shooting at a moving target. And we tend to think of the large language models as the be all and end all of all of this, but they're not. And if, for example, um, let's say that you are training a model. Now, you as a person, if you see a news report where so-and-so politician says such and such, you think to yourself, that makes sense to me. Or you might think, no, I know from other facts that what they're saying is just baloney, pure baloney. 
And so you do not accept that information that you're that you're seeing them say. The problem with the large language models is it doesn't have the ability to do that. It doesn't have the ability to make those judgments, do that reasoning. And so it just accepts whatever it's 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 exposed to. And whatever it's exposed to the most is is what it goes with when it gives you an output. And so the next step in this is to add that reasoning like you would have as a human being where you say, oh, I don't really believe this. I think this is invalid data based on you know, the other facts that I have at my disposal and my ability to reason from those facts. So that's totally missing in these large language models right now. And I think that will be the next step that we'll start to see. And so if you're going to regulate target regulation at large language models, well, that's all going to change. And so um, then you're going to have to say, well, how do we regulate this new thing? We don't know because nobody really understands how it works in the first place. So it's a very much a moving target. And so it's going to be quite a challenge to try to regulate this stuff. So it, it's there's a lot of things coming. There's a lot of change coming. And it's very difficult to keep up with all this. Dom, do you want to share your screen? You're muted. So, yeah. Oh, I just want to share some. I, I think today we cover a lot of, uh, already cover a lot of stuff. Um, I just want to share um, kind of like, a, a, I would say a little bit difference. It's just like a very detailed things. Because, I mean, when, if you see Meta's UI interface, um, pretty much, when I was working there, pretty much we followed the previous guideline, but I think Apple do bring their mobile phone types of icon design. I feel like they are so detailed that um, it's interesting to see how 2D migrate to 3D with super small details, but it does feel a little kind of like sophisticated. So yeah. and. If you see this one and it's on Apple's website, so you can easily find it. They have a section uh, which they talk very detailed about all their design principles and also like uh, how to create designs. And it's like a 22, uh, 22 minutes, uh, but I can just like uh, share with you. Maybe we can just watch part of it. Uh, but I think it's very interesting to see like uh, how Apple take uh, the next steps for all the you for all the UI and when I see this, I feel like wow, there are some jobs for UX UI designer to migrate to XR designer and with the kind of like a, uh, some coding background and there might be another you know job opening pretty soon because I mean right now there are not a lot because uh, recession layoff and also big companies, you know, not many positions for XR, more like a designer, experienced designer. But uh, I think this might kind of help designers to reinvent uh, themselves. And then, yeah, let's take a look. Oh, can you see the screen? Can you hear the sound? Yeah, I'm, I'm turning my video off so that it doesn't lag. Okay, yeah, and I will do the same. And we're from the Apple design team. Today, we're gonna talk about how to design spatial user interfaces. 
To help you get started on this platform, we've built a visual language that maintains consistency and familiarity with our existing platforms, while also evolving certain elements to adapt to immersive and spatial experiences. We'll start by talking about the UI foundations and design principles to consider when creating app icons and interfaces that are legible and usable in an environment. Then, we'll go over key concepts and best practices to create layouts that are both ergonomic and easy to target. And finally, we'll conclude by showing how this platform can bring your app from screen to spatial, walking you through all of our system components, most of which you're already familiar with and some that are completely new. Let's dive deep into UI Foundation. These are the core design principles we will cover on this section. Let's start talking about app icons. We wanted to keep home view familiar, and we've gone one step further, making app icons three-dimensional and realistic in your space. When people look at them, they expand, and the system enhances this visual effect by adding specular highlights and shadows to reinforce the subtle depth between layers. So, how can you design a great icon? First of all, use multiple layers. Other platforms use layers to create a parallax effect. Here, just by using flat layers, the system can create this truly 3D effect. All app icons can have up to three layers, a background layer and up to two foreground layers on top. Each layer is a square image, and their size is 1024 by 1024 pixels. Both foreground layers should have a transparent background. Design your background layer as an edge-to-edge -edge square image. Then, all layers will get cropped by a circular mask. And finally, when layers merge together, a glass layer is applied automatically, adding depth, specular highlights, and shadows to them. Try to keep graphics centered. If they are too close to the edge, they could look off-center when expanded. Avoid using large regions of semi-transparent pixels. Layers with reduced opacity will blend with the shadow casted behind it. And that's how you can easily create three-dimensional app icons. Next, let's talk about materials. When people tap your app icon, ads will land in many different places, like this one, a broad daylight room, or in a small space, like an airplane, or at nighttime. Ads need to adapt to the lighting conditions on your surroundings. They should be easy to place in the space around you, easy to use at any distance, and easy to view with any lighting conditions. And that's why we've designed a new visual language, the glass material. This system-defined beautiful glass window fills part of your physical wall, and its unique properties allow light from people's surroundings and virtual content to show through. In addition, specular highlights and shadows reinforce its scale and position your space. And it works as a canvas for your content UI, making it feel lighter and adding a sense of physicality to it. This lightweight material also gives people a sense of what might be behind a window, like other apps or people. To deliver great spatial experiences, it's important to be aware of your surroundings. Avoid using solid colors on windows. Too many opaque windows can feel constricting and make the interface feel heavy. Glass responds dynamically to lighting, adjusting the contrast and color balance to fill part of your space, like in this transition from day to night. Unlike iOS and macOS, this platform does not have a distinct light or dark appearance. Instead, Glass and UI 
naturally adapt when placed in front of light on dark backgrounds. System-defined vibrant materials take great advantage of this feature, ensuring your app looks great across different scenarios and lighting conditions. Let's take a look at them. First, we start with a glass window. If you want to separate sections of your app, like a sidebar, use a darker material or a lighter material to bring attention to interactive elements, like buttons. Or you may even consider using darker materials to increase contrast for standard components, like input fields. Here is how Music App looks with all the UI elements. As you can see, text defaults to white. So imagine that you want to design a lockup, like this one, and you want to add a lighter button. It is great to place it on top of the glass material, or if you want to get more contrast, use a darker cell behind it. Try to not stack lighter materials on top of each other, as it impacts legibility and reduces contrast. Now, I'll show you how typography has been precisely adapted to this platform. To keep things familiar, all phone styles use semantic names that work on all platforms. They have been tuned on our point-based unit system, ensuring they are legible at any distance. To learn more, Check out the session Principles of Spatial Design. We've also modified some of the font weights to improve legibility. Let's take a closer look. To improve the contrast of text against vibrant material, font weight has been modified to be slightly heavier. For example, on iOS, we use regular weight for the body textile. On this platform, we use medium. And for titles, instead of semi-bold, we use bold keeping text clear all the time. Consequently, the tracking has been slightly increased to help with legibility. In addition to the well-known font style we share across platform, we've added two brand new font styles that take advantage of the white editorial style layout you can use. Here's an example of the extra large Title One on Arcade. Cool, right? Even though Windows can scale up to incredible large sizes, Custom smaller or lightweight fonts can still be difficult to read. To improve that, consider increasing the weight or using a typeface design for optimized legibility, like system fonts. Next, let's talk about vibrancy. This is one of the most important details to maintain legibility across the system. Vibrancy brightens foreground content that displays on top of a material and works by pulling light and color forward from what's behind it. On this platform, since the background can be constantly changing, vibrancy updates in real time to make sure your text is always legible. To show what I mean, let's look at an example. Vibrancy works on top of the glass material, enhancing legibility and making system material feel richer and sophisticated. Make sure to use system components when possible. By default, they take advantage of this vibrancy effect. Let's pause for a second and turn vibrancy off. As we just saw, vibrancy improves legibility and how materials look. Let me turn it on and off to show you the difference. Now, let's see how you can take advantage of it. Use vibrancy to indicate hierarchy for text, symbols, and fields. There are three modes, primary, secondary, and tertiary. Use primary for standard text, or use secondary for description text, footnotes, and subtitles. You've seen the glass material can be many different colors, since this shows the color of what's behind it. 
Colorful elements on top of the glass might be hard to see if the color of the glass is similar. Most of the time, consider using white text or symbols so they are always clearly visible. If you need to use color, use it in a background layer or an entire button so people can see it. When possible, use system color instead of custom color as they have been calibrated for legibility and dynamically adapt to maintain hue and contrast on the glass. So, those are the design principles and the updates we've made to the core components, like materials, typography, and vibrancy. Yeah, I just want to share with you like uh, all the details of how they um, kind of work on things. And later on, you can see some layout stuff uh, and all some like, for example, component buttons um, and uh, sizing. Uh, focus on feedback and more like dynamic uh, interaction. Uh, so in in the page about all, all about design principles, you can see tons of like, uh, yeah, although even like uh, how uh, spatial inputs, share play experience and immersive sound design, all those like a more targeting on experience, you can go to their uh, one of their page. So yeah, so I think those are interesting and they talk about menu uh, sheets top bar windows all those are gui types of um, uh, system which nui is more natural user interface which is for example like i anchor which they they also have um, their demo so yeah so it's interesting to see how apple when they launch it they also bring the new kind of principles for people to learn and follow um yeah i mean that's so so helpful yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah there, sorry hold on there, there's also a big push to convert existing apps uh like tablet and phone apps to this device and and that's what apple's been trying to do for a long time is make uh apps available across their their platforms and so I know that's a big push that they they want to get as many apps as possible running on this platform that already yeah, exists. It, and it, it for th so for something like this, it makes sense why they they said, okay, here's the tech, and now it's going to be released in a year. So everybody who has already you know, had apps on our platform, you have a year to figure it out you know, and they're releasing this educational content. I didn't even know that they were doing that, but that is so unbelievably helpful. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that that will help designers tremendously to just have a standard by which to follow. Because, you know, as a designer, uh, you're you're not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel, right? I mean, and sometimes, sometimes you do. Sometimes you want to reinvent the wheel. But a lot of times with branding, you want to... Um, you just want to be able to find the standards designed to them to make sure that your app looks or whatever it is that you're doing looks as successful as it possibly can in all of the different areas that that um, it can be viewed on. And so Apple releasing their design standards like that is so, so helpful. You may not have a year. The, the headset's supposed to come, it's yeah. supposed to go on, uh, on sale. Well, okay. early year they said, so we don't know exactly when. But you may only have six months. We don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I thought it was a year, but I'm happy that it's only six months. 
Yeah, and uh, I think if you dive in, they have a lot of content. Uh, talk about like a top bar, side bar, um, all the uh interesting components because on phone we know that you know we have a net bar right down here, and it's pretty much all regular, uh, for for phone design or the when uh like kind of like a desktop design. And now they are kind of standardized all their systems and all the, you see like, it's like, I feel like Apple is like, okay, uh, 1024, 1024. And they give you all the kind of numbers and make sure you understand and very similar to, you know, human uh, like, uh, like guidelines. So um, yeah, and uh, I think for Meta, you can definitely go to their developer. I feel like Meta is more focused on developer uh, types of um, coding and API SDK. And uh, Apple, uh, when it released, it started talking about the all, all the all the UI stuff. I remember before I was trying to learn some uh, guidelines or design, and when I go to Meta's stuff, it it mentions some high level concept. Uh, for example, like, oh, you your text need to be legible, but it's not like, oh, before it was median, now, before it was regular, now we increase a little bit. And when they place together, sometimes it's hard to tell <laughs> which one is bolder or not. It's just so sophisticated and like even small details, like a vibrate, right? If you, you say vibrate, and vibrancy and uh, no vibrancy. And if you turn on, turn off, I can see a little difference. But if you don't do vibrancy, it's still readable. So it's just enhanced. So um, those really add some sophisticated uh, visual components into XR field. Because for example, if you read people writing some uh, XR, UX books or video on YouTube. Not many people mention those details and no, or the, oh. the, um, using system, using system fonts or, um, system colors instead of custom, which that's like, hello, that makes so much sense. But I, as a designer, I rarely use those. Um, and I'm like, but Hello, because they would already have all of these things built in. Why would I not use them? That it's so funny how something well, so simple can yeah, be like, like a well, one, duh. You know, why why pixel, did I not think about that? One pixel increase the edge and you you couldn't even read it, notice it, and they make a guideline. So yeah, this is how Apple do things. So that's well, why it took them so long. Yeah. Go they've ahead. already had they've always had good uh, design guidelines for user interfaces from the from the time the original Mac came out for, mm. uh, and the Apple the Apple II computer. I mean, they've always had good design guidelines. And the reason why they're not talking about the SDK right now because it's because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It will exist sometime this month, but it does not exist yet. So the SDK for the for the Vision Pro does not exist right now, but it will by the end of the month oh, or so they say. Yeah, so next Friday, I will pretty much use Quest Pro to do the touch. I will screenshot because um, right now, it's just the screenshot and kind of enhance the kind of like the UI right now, kind of fake it using Figma. And then 
what I was thinking is that set up uh, pass-through that probably takes one week. Another one will be uh, putting the UI in and using hand to touch it and switch the toggle. And the other one, what I'm thinking is that more experimental, which is that putting that thing, this, this hand, I, I, I personally like to touch things right in front of me. Um, that's more Meta's uh, thinking, but uh, we can do one version, which is your hand touch UI. Another one, more like pass through. The other one is let's push that, go far away. Uh, I'm not sure using Ray to pointing and clicking. Maybe that can be one. And another one, the experimental one is using uh, MetaQuest. They have Quest Interaction plugin. They have one, one uh, kind of experimental thing, which you use your eye, look at things, and you use your finger to click. So pretty much the same as Apple's no demonstration. But I want to push it at the end because I miss need some weeks to figure it out, but I will start uh, showing you how to slowly, um, probably I would say within one month, four weeks or five weeks, this should be figure, all figured out because all the code or all the script is inside the demo scene. All how many, need to do, oh, go ahead. How many pass-through cameras do they have on the Quest Pro? Quest Pro, I need to bring it up. Uh, I think at least, Three to five. I, I I saw there are a bunch, but I huh? probably pull the documentary. You can see it. Uh, it's pretty much you. You know, it's like this one, and the tracking is here, right? So do they have? Do they have two forward-looking cameras, one for each eye? Oh, I need. I really need to bring it up. Give yeah, me okay. five seconds. Okay. Um, so, uh, do you guys have Quest Pro or Quest 2? Quest 2. Quest, Quest 2. 2? Uh, Jacqueline 2? Okay. It, it's the same, same thing. Okay. So, if you see this, you can see three, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, three. Uh, uh, yeah. So it looks like one one forward looking camera and, for and, you. And, and, and here has, there, there are some sensors here. I think I don't want to give false directions, but they do have some something somewhere. Yeah, they, they have three, but I think Apple has more, right? Now, now the Quest Pro does not have the LiDAR sensor on it. Am I correct? Uh, you need to ask ChatGPT, you know what? Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Vision Pro has a LiDAR sensor similar to the higher end iPhones. Which it's it sends what it does is it scans the environment with an infrared laser. So you can't see it, but it scans the environment with this infrared laser. And the, the time amount of time that it takes for that laser light to bounce back to the sensor uh, dictates the depth to the scene at that point. Uh, Quest, Quest Pro is totally black. 
so you couldn't see you can't through. see your eyes yeah yeah you cannot, right 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 it, it's a fake one it's using right. the camera to shoot outside and then when you see this pass you it's so camera this is yeah. pretty much the quest too this is blocked this is now, apple does the same thing you can't actually see through yeah the, the headset but it appears like you can because of the cameras the, the projection of your eyes it's on a display it's on what's called the lenticular yeah, that, that, display that, that in the front of the headset yeah yeah so so yeah so i'm looking forward to the workshop because i think all those workshop is forcing me to learn harder i remember last yeah Last night, Jim texted me like, are we going to have an event? And I was like, oh, I was still in the a AR mode because I was yeah. looking up a lot of uh, online stuff. And I saw realized that, wow, you couldn't put a 3D directly in the passing through scene. For example, like I opened um, uh, Oculus Inter Integration, um, that uh, plugin, they have a lot of demos, including passing through. I open it, I successfully set up, and I put a cube inside, and that cube was disappeared. Why? Because there are like underlay, overlay, all those interesting shaders you need to make sure that, uh, because for example, passing through is that, oh, the shader of outside world shows up, right? And the scenes UI is already doing some settings. So if you want to put a new, virtual stuff, you need to make sure the rendering, they render that, 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 that cube. So there are some interesting settings and there are some different layers, uh, need to kind of learn all those interesting shader and the arrangement. And also there are a lot of interesting things, for example, like if you put normal UI, uh, for example, if you put UI, you can definitely use controller to trigger it. But yeah. uh, using hand, maybe this, you need to grab the right array or something to trigger yeah. it. But if you grab the UI, you want to tap it, it's not working. So you need yeah. to make a lot of interesting adjustment and treat this as a 3D mesh. One of the uh, sets. Collider. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've noticed before in, in attending your classes, there's a setting uh, when you're developing for Unity, there's a, there's a little checkbox that you can turn on that renders things in stereoscopic 3D. Normally, you'd have that off, but hmm. you can't turn that on. So I wonder if you turn that on and everything hmm. else, if you can see the pass-through in, in 3D at that oh. point. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Quest Pro... Um, yeah, Quest Pro is more like, for example, if you see pretty much the system is the same thing, gesture, everything's the same, except the, um, the, the, the visual part, I think pixels resolution, Quest Pro yeah. is better. And also Quest Pro, it has a sensor to sense your eye uh, or muscle movement on your face. So you yeah, can right. do a lot of like, uh, for example winking or like you talk uh if you have an avatar inside horizon words and when you talk to somebody face to face your avatar face to avatar when i talk something and my fa face will do the talk and synchronous so it's yeah i mean i i, I don't know it's 
more like that. And as far as I know, there are a lot of startups trying to map your entire face yeah. to the 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 generative AI world. So yeah, this world because Apple join in and bring a lot of principles and upgrade all the visuals. More people will love to try and create content. And I know that AI is kind of accelerating all the content creation before you need to learn 10 years of Maya in order to create a 3D model. Now you use text and pretty soon those uh, kind of plugin will show up. It, it becomes like, for example, if you join Game Jam, before we need a team of 10 people, you need composer, writer, you need developer, yeah. you need, yeah. uh, you know, artists. Now it becomes one person can be a team, you know, it feels a little bit lonely. I don't know. <laughs> but you're one person. So that's good, right? <laughs> it's like one person can knock out the entire project within 24 hours. That's what I foresee the future hackers on. It's not everybody grouped together and everyone has some cool stuff like a uh, musician will bring MIDI, bring drums and creating music on the spot. It will be some person write some chat bots and the music will generate. It's, yeah. last it's true the, and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like- But it'll be like, <laughs> it'll be well, like, what's that like with the Power Rangers, you know, when they all combine, like they're all awesome on their own, but then when they combine together, oh, they create this- They create a this triple super bot. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> what happens when our powers combine? I was looking- <laughs> I was looking at some music generation software and somebody generated some music in the style of Mozart and it mm. did sound like Mozart's style. Mm. But when you listen to the music, it had none of the cleverness of Mozart. It had none of the clever structures that he created in his music. So it wasn't able to perceive that type of thing and reproduce that type of thing. So maybe Mozart, a new Mozart still has some, uh, some hope left. Yeah. And uh, um, recently, because China is so good at AI, right? And uh, um, I watched the news, Taiwanese news or and, and Chinese news. It seems like they invent, few few months ago, they invent a software, which put all the popular Chinese Mandarin singers song. Uh, one of it, even she hasn't seen or on the stage for at least a decade. So, when people use her voice in the AI generator, like, oh, I want this song, but re sing by another uh, singer. Yeah. And uh, people feel like, wow, this is because that singer's voice is so unique and kind of re sing other singers' song and the generate. The, it, it's amazing. And the real singer even write a post says that, Oh, you know, uh, she has been really popular since she was like 20s. And um, yeah, and uh, now she became, uh, you know, uh, kind of become a housewife at home, taking care of kids for years. And now she saw like somebody use her voice and generated an album with it less than five minutes. Right. Oh. And then that album is so popular. And Did she, they have permission? No. Oh, well, that's a problem. 
Oh, it's, it's, it's just in China. It's, it's in China. So well, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. Well, in fact, one, one of the copyright <laughs> issues is we're now, now starting to see TV commercials in the U.S. Hmm. that are narrated by what sound like famous person's voices, hmm. but it isn't really them. It's just AI trained to sound like that famous person. They don't want to sound too much like that famous person. Mm -hmm. But they want people to think it sounds very similar. And uh, that's a whole other area of lawsuits and so forth. Yeah. So the the singer kind of wrote a post that, wow, she has been taking care of kids for a while and um, never will go back to stage. And she found out that there's uh, AI voice that mimic her sound and become so popular um, you know, um, the music, you know, uh, billboard and become top one. And she's not even involved, but uh, it's her name, her voice, and ge AI generated. And, Was she upset? Uh, uh, she feels like there's nothing to upset because technology is getting um, more and more. And she just like, wow, she treated like interesting. Right. So she she wasn't uh, because she wasn't, maybe it would maybe it would push more sales of her yeah her previous people, yeah people records because they'd be like okay here her. I love her yeah maybe she, maybe she should go back in concert now go back yeah, on tour right. with her Pe and her people AI. start missing her <laughs> so the interesting thing is and in China is they have a concept which is my entire body soul and mind belongs to um, uh, communism. Uh -huh. belongs to she you know uh -huh. what i'm saying is like they treat uh, the entire oh. communism uh party as their father so it's like a christianity is like everybody belongs to god right so right. um for example the 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 company if they earn money they would feel like it's appreciate the government you you know what i'm saying uh it's like when you earn something if you believe in god it's god give you so um, for the artist, if someone use it and inside China, they will feel like, oh, I mean, my talents belongs to China government. So if people use it and do something good for the government, uh, that's the return. So it's more like a, a very a interesting insight. Yeah. So the nobody, differences. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody really cares about the uniqueness or personal rights. Uh, so that's the difference between uh, China and America. America, well, like um, uh, Elon Musk's girlfriend or her ex-girlfriend, uh, she wants to license her voice and sell people who want to use her voice, right? But in China, pretty much if you use it, people just treat it as, hey, everything belongs to the country. And uh, if country take take your company out, it's because you are nothing without without Chinese government. So right. whatever you do belongs to them. Is they give you the thing that makes you so successful. So, so for example, like Jake Ma, right? Um, for people there, they think that Jake, the reason why Jake Ma is successful. Is because the government, the policy suits the the Ali 
uh, kind of like a company, right? Uh, if without government help you, you are nothing. So um, because Jack Ma say something against she, so that's why she kind of like do a lot of things to take out all his property or something. Because whatever you do, you entire person belongs to the party. That's why. Well, so, I'm I'm not quite wow. ready to give the government all of my stuff. <laughs> I'm not, but I wasn't born into that. And so I don't, I, it's such a disconnect yeah. from living yeah. in such an individualistic society, mm-hmm. you know, but <clears throat> for somebody in China, our, the, our way of life and being such an individual, they would be like, why would you want that? <laughs> What, yeah, and, what is and, the benefit of that? <laughs> and and I saw that Open AI CEO will talk to China, and uh, they will kind of co-register. Oh, yeah, co-register. He was pushing for legislation. Yeah, and I was scared. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, this will be go because they uh, the the way they treat AI is similar to what my talents and it it belongs to the entire government. There's no individualities there. Everything belongs to government. Whatever you earn and whatever you get is the mercy from the government. So if that types of concept implement to the AI in America, <laughs> and uh, you know AI can influence your decision making if we keep using it, keep seeking for for answer. I don't know. I feel like why you are seeking for China to, 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 yeah, I I have no idea. (laughs) It's very interesting. Yeah. So, whoa, (laughs) we will see what happens. Cause I think that that based on that conversation, um, or no, maybe that was South Korea. Oh, it's the same thing that the, I, I feel like you see, uh, Russian, right. Mm-hmm. North Korea, China, um, even Japan. Japan is, you know, they, 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 their company culture is that if the leader is not leaving the company, everybody need to stay. It's a family types of things. So yeah, and Taiwan is the same thing. And the entire Asian is the blood, sweat factory types of things. So yeah, and if our AI registration needs to get inspired by China, I don't know what will what will well what will happen there. Yeah, what will happen? <laughs> Either much, way, <laughs> yeah. You know, China is even like um they give social score for everybody. If your social score is too low, you couldn't even if you if you have money, you couldn't even get on the bus. Yeah, and they have AI um, scan on your face. And in in classroom, probably in some big cities, in classroom, uh, there will be a lot of computer vision cameras scan every children's uh, kind of um, reactions. And um, they even give like, oh, if you have, yeah, they, they at the end, they have analysis, the reports for this student is actively uh, and facial express like they have analysis of all the all the face yeah so there's nowhere to hide I just am like I am seeing Jim's eye like twitch because 
You're so getting you're so much into privacy and like do not know anything about me. And, uh, and Dominique is like, they know everything. Yeah, yeah, it's China. But if Jim is like, if, no, thank you. If we are going to get inspiration and call legislate AI stuff, then this yeah, this will come. Well, we don't yet know the social <laughs> philosophy of our AI o- overlords. Yeah, we'll find yeah. out, but we don't. We will. We, don't. we will find out in the next few years for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting era, and uh, I I'm so glad that we we are living in this fun fun place where everything is uncertain and everyone is panic and people. <laughs> Everybody are... gets to chart their own <laughs> destinies. And yeah, because whatever you want to learn, it seems like AI can do better than you than what am I going to do, right? So yeah, and personal assistant, say personal assistant, if it is to know you too much and slowly and you see the robot, right? Slowly those two merges. <laughs> you're, you're better than AI, Dom. You're better than AI. Oh, thank you. I, 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 I <laughs> right now I'm better than AI. I don't know the, you know, the future, right? Yeah, maybe not next year. <laughs> <laughs> not not next year. Hopefully not next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like next year, Apple's uh, devices still stay in 2D, right? So it shouldn't be that fast. It takes some time to, to go to 3D. Wow. Yeah. So so it's, it's very interesting. And every week we talk about new things. And I, I just feel like every week is a new exploration. So let's just see what's next week. Yeah. Yes. And- Looking forward to all of the chaos that ensues between now and, and next Friday. So we, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and see what's next. Right. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to text to 3D and also text to web development, text to yeah. app uh, there's a post. And photo uh, searching. I'm yeah. so looking forward to photo searching. That's going to be huge for design references, for interior references, just so many things. That is going uh-huh. to be remarkable. And Iris become the new, new, you know, new mouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at AWE, we were talking about wow, well, Iris will become, you know, the 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 anchors for all the real world with AI. Uh, it was before Apple released. And uh, we said, oh, it probably happens in a few years. And Apple, Apple start tomorrow. They probably, They're doing it. Yeah, they probably <laughs> so already have all the patents on it. Yeah, right. So, wow, this is a very interesting world that we start predicting. Pre- whatever we predict, it will come tomorrow. Right. So yeah. <laughs> tomorrow, not tomorrow. even like a hundred years from now. It's we just talk- tomorrow. We were talking at <laughs> AWE that future will be Iris become a mouse and tomorrow Apple release the same thing. So yeah, yeah. it's just as soon as tomorrow. So I don't know what's happening next week. And, but right now AI is not beating me today, yeah, right. uh, right, but better. I don't know tomorrow. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. And next week we will have a passing through uh, kind of live event. Uh, I will share. That's um, on Friday. Is that right? Friday. Yeah. Friday. Yeah. I, I will 11 a.m. Kind of, yeah. 11. I will start. Yeah. I will start kind of like a 
pushing newsletter and also kind of pushing on Slack. And Slack, uh, a lot of people think it's too old style. And uh, so we will migrate to Discord again. And then um, oh we will later on kind of partner with Design Buddies uh, kind of for some different events. And also we will have hackathon. So yeah, so there will be a lot of cool stuff happening. And uh, thank you so much for attending today. And uh, I will see you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Mm,